morning, everyone. Thanks for being here today. It is great to be in the house of the Lord, and thanks for joining us online. We're in Mark, and we are getting closer to Easter all the time. It's coming a little early this year, but that's okay. I think we're all excited for spring, and I heard it's supposed to be pretty nice out today, so that's a good thing, too. You know, I talk about the times often, if you've been at Renew for any length of time where I was a camp director and helped out a couple summers while I was just getting out of college and in college, and uh, we would do the trust fall. You've heard me talk about this, where the person would stand there, right, and they'd cross their arms, and, and the way we did it is we would say, you have to yell out if you were the faller, uh, you'd yell out, falling, and then we all say, fall away, and you fall back, and you place all your trust and the people behind you. Well, I ran across this video online and it made me Let's laugh. Check this out. This chair and close your eyes. All right. And then everybody fill in. And we're going to ask you to fall and then they will catch you. So you have to trust us. I'm going to count to three. Just relax and fall. Okay. One, two, three. No, wait, no. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, now, now, with anything online, I'm sure that was probably set up, but it definitely illustrates a point, right? Uh, there, there's, there's two ways of falling, and one um, could lead uh, to at least um, a different outcome. Let's put it that way, and uh, it is definitely hilarious to consider that and imagine somebody... <laughs> Uh, doing that. But what about when it comes to people spiritually? How many of you know someone or been a part of someone's life who was with you at church or youth events or things like that, or you had heard they had come to know Christ or at least they professed Christ or something like that, and they kind of fell away? They weren't falling into the arms of Jesus. They were falling away, if you will. And, and, and you're watching it going, oh, man, you know, I know scripture said that there will be some who, who said they believed, but John even said they're not of us if they fall away like that. And then, and then, and then there's, there's other passage. We know Jesus even said many will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And, and it's hard for us because we see people in the church or we hear people that were even using Bible verses and claiming God and all these things. And we think, man, there has to be authentic salvation there. But then, then they fall away from the things of faith. In fact, you hear more and more, especially in the collegiate levels, and we deal with our own college students here who will tell us some of the stuff that goes on there, especially. And, and, and we see um, articles coming out all the time about how people are deconstructing their faith or ex-evangelicals and, and all these things. And, and for some people, it can really rock their faith. If your faith is dependent on how other people react, that can really rock your faith, I think. And, or at least expect and make you go, why is that? Why, why, do, why does that happen? Well, there's a recent article where pastors were reading eight reasons or, or some reasons, I'll just say. I don't know if I'm gonna do all eight that people fall away. This is from Chuck Lawless. He, he says, here, here's one, lack of ownership. Their faith was never really theirs. 
They were forced to do something or had to come and kind of sit with mom and dad or, or somebody and it was never, never a faith that they took as their own. Second, a lack of authenticity. They saw hypocrisy in other people who claimed Christ, maybe even were mistreated by people who claim Christ. And they said, I, I, I don't want that. Three, um, lack of acceptance. They found a stronger community outside people of faith than inside. In fact, they say things like, you know, well, I mean, people in the world, they treat me better than anybody at church. You'll hear things like lack of discipleship. They never, ever were really discipled. They just kind of came, listened, and never investigated the things of Scripture themselves. Sometimes it's lack of accountability, he writes. Um, they live in an ever-changing culture that gives them complete permission to live differently than the values of Scripture. In fact, it's socially accepted to avoid many of the things of Scripture. And so if you're not going to face any kind of social pressure, the only social pressure you're getting is if you stand up for the things of God. So there's a reason. He writes, lack of answers. They had questions, and never one, no one ever legitimately tried to handle them. Instead, they just said, well, just, just believe or whatever. And even he writes, lack of holiness. They have sin in their lives, and the things of God confront that, and they don't want to be confronted by something. And so you see these things happen. But I would add a couple bonuses to that. I think one of the reasons there's a fall away is they don't have a healthy fear of God. Because if you have a healthy fear of God, you understand the absolute importance of a decision you need to make while you're still alive. But I would also put, there's a lack of faith in the sense that we want to be loved by the world more than we want to be loved by God. And the world's approval is far more important than what God asks of us. And when those things begin to happen, when it means more for you to get something from others than God, you run into these faith crises. And make no mistake, if you live on this earth, and I think we all do, I think we all qualify for that, you will experience trials and difficulties. It's not a maybe. In fact, Scripture says we're promised that. And I would argue that much of the times when I see or witness this, it's because people often, when we talk, they talk to us especially, it's because they're struggling because they've never truly understood the difference, in my book here, between trials and consequences. In fact, I have a little saying I say to myself. And if you ever want to know how weird I am, I have sayings that I repeat. And you've heard these before. I have different things in my life. But one of the things when a trial comes into my life, and I deal with trials just like everybody else, okay? I say to myself, don't let this trial turn into a consequence. <laughs> what do I mean? Don't allow the fact that something's happening to me that's out of my control turn into a response that is completely in my control that I will have to deal with the consequences for it. Because we gotta understand that we will experience trials. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of how many kinds? Various kinds. There's lots of trials. No, James, we're not excited. 
There's lots of them. Why? What's going on? Because the testing of your faith is producing steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its perfect work. God is going to allow seasons of testing of our faith. It will prove whether it's genuine or not by whether it holds out. And yes, there's times where we walk in, in, in struggle. There's times when we, when we deal with things, but when we legitimately and practice things that are not of God with zero remorse, zero seared conscience, zero frustration of a lack of holiness in our lives, we can tell there's probably not been genuine salvation. And one of the ways that really gets tested is when a trial comes into your life. Because if we don't understand the difference, we will process things sometimes very poorly especially in immature faith. For example, a trial is a result of somewhere you are, where a consequence is a result of something you've done. A trial happens, John tells us, I told you this, that you might be peace. Here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows. So if you say, God, how could you do that to me? You run the risk of turning a trial that you were told you were gonna have into a consequence of bitterness and anger that it happened to you. Because we harbor bitterness and anger, whether it's at God or someone else, it starts to turn into a consequence in our life. The body keeps a score with anxiety, with bitterness, and everything, and it, and it plays a role. And we need to understand, is this happening because of nothing I've done? I just got a disease because I'm here on earth. Or is this because of something I've done? God, how could you give me this jail time of 20 years? All I did was go in and rob the bank. Wait, God did this? Yeah, God, how could you not love me? Wait a minute, wait a minute, what did you do? I robbed a bank. God, how come I have all these physical struggles? I mean... Years of substance abuse and different things I poured into my body. Why is this happening to me? And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? See, we sometimes mistake trials for consequences. We got to know the difference because here's the thing. Trials we are to endure and learn from. Whereas consequences we are to confess and turn from. So trials, endure them. They're going to happen here on earth. Consequences, Father, forgive me if you're a child of God, of the sin I chose, cleanse me from unrighteousness so that I might move forward. Romans 5.3 says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance. We know that trials are to be endured and learned from. He is growing our faith. Whereas 1 John says, if we confess our sins and turn from our consequences, the less they can wreak havoc on our lives. But then third, don't allow trials to turn into consequences. Third, trials are allowed by God to refine us. Consequences are allowed by God to correct us. Have you ever seen someone going through a difficulty and you're a little bit younger in the faith and they go, God's gonna work this out together for my good. You go, how is that gonna happen? I don't know. I know there's sometimes in my life things I do not like that are occurring, whether it's to me or to one of my loved ones. In fact, sometimes that's the harder ones, isn't it? when it's happening to a loved one, when you see a loved one going through a trial and how I respond to that, the things I can control and how I respond to that dictate a lot of times what kind of consequences am I gonna deal for how I respond. So I want to handle the trial the way God would want me to. 
And the reason I say that is because you will find so many people who choose or, or decide they, they, they were close to giving life, their life to Christ and then a trial came into their life, the loss of a loved one, disease, sickness, whatever it is, or, or just a, 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 a tragedy or an event and they go, God, and they rage at God, how could you allow this? And then it turns into a life of bitterness and anger and a, I'm gonna destroy the character of God for the rest of my life because he did that. And you'll find that a lot of people who struggle with, I've got no time for faith anymore, you can go back and point to a place of tremendous pain. Tremendous pain. And they're hurting. And I would never want to argue with someone. Instead, I would want to find out for those who are going, I can't believe this anymore. Or I can't follow this anymore. Where are you hurt? Where did it happen? There was somebody in the church and they did me wrong and they called themselves a, a, a person of the church. You have no idea what they said to me. What they, there it is. We found the spot. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life destroying anybody who goes to a church. I'm gonna talk bad about them. And it, it, there was a pain there, right? There was a spot there. There was hurt. Don't allow your trials to turn into consequences. God can work even the correcting for your good. Is this a new phenomenon, Pastor Chris, that people are like falling away from the faith? I mean, should we be worried? In fact, actually, Jesus said, as we grow closer to the end, that they will fall away and betray one another, even hate each other. In fact, it was part of his birth pains message if you were with us in Mark. But if you think it's a new phenomenon of falling away from Jesus, how about the Last Supper? I mean, there's no way someone could fall away from following Jesus that walked and talked and sat with him, right? Today we're going to call our message Fall Away. It's Mark chapter 14, 10 through 31. And we're gonna witness a professed disciple doing the unthinkable to Jesus. And if you've ever faced betrayal, if you've ever had someone want to no longer be anywhere near you, Jesus knows exactly that feeling. And if you've ever seen someone that you love turn completely against the things of God, Jesus knows exactly what that feeling's like. What will we do? How will we live? I have one other reason that I think people don't fully grasp their faith and don't fully have genuine salvation. And I'll share that as we go through today. And I think you'll find it's the very reason Jesus gave us communion. We'll take it today during the sermon. We will also look at the passage that we have all heard a hundred times, if not more, of the night where Judas betrayed Jesus at the Passover table. Heavenly Father, use your word today to build our faith. It's often said faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it grows. But we know our faith is dependent not on us, but on the object we've placed it in. 
And so, Jesus, we need you to do what you do. And that is hold us, sustain us, care for us, and stick by us. And Lord, there's times in our life where we're unfaithful. There's times in our life where we even deny you at times. But I pray this story of betrayal will be a reminder to us of the importance of staying close to Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare to eat Passover? Now, I grew up in the church. I would hear these terms, Passover, and the only thing I remember passing over was when I played duck, duck, goose. I go duck, duck, and I pass over, and then goose, and then I, and I run. I, I, so I know what it means to pass over something, but I, 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 being an American kid, I didn't really understand some of this Jewish language and, and some of their practices, and I'm like, Passover, and I remember this. So, so let's just catch up on where we are, okay? Can we put up a week? Here we are. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Mark chapters one through so many, we are going through the whole story, but the last like five, six chapters, it's one week of time. And so we've got Sunday, um, we have him coming in, and he is coming into town, the triumphal entry. Now we have Monday, he's casting out the money changers. And Tuesday, he's telling them about the end times and what it will be like. Wednesday is silent. It's almost like he's got a big day coming Thursday. Many people believe that's actually where you want to place the anointing of Jesus' hair and feet. And then Thursday is his last supper. And then Friday, he'll be crucified. He'll be in the tomb. And then Sunday, he'll be resurrected. And so as we get up here, why is Thursday Passover? Well, it was known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or they would get together and everybody would travel to Jerusalem. All the Jews would travel to Jerusalem. Some two million people would slam into Jerusalem during this time period. And on Monday, they'd go to the temple and they'd select a lamb. Why? Because the law dictated a blood sacrifice for forgiveness. Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. So, so how come we don't just do anybody's blood? Because it's full of sin. They had to use a spotless lamb and, and they had to use that lamb as a substitute for the family. And so the lamb would be selected on Monday. Remember the money changers were upselling it? Hey, get your lamb here. It's supposed to be 20 bucks. We're making it 100 bucks. And, and they were doing this with the taxes and all these different things. And Jesus came in. He kind of dealt with that. Now, Thursday, this is when they would sacrifice the lamb. Now, have you ever gone like, how come it says it was like three days later, but it was like Friday, Saturday? Okay, because the Jewish calendar is slightly different. In fact, this happened on the 14th or 15th because they were told to celebrate Passover on the 14th, but it seems Jesus died on the 15th. What's going on? Okay, so let me just throw this up. I always learn better in pictures. So you got to understand that the Jewish day, it started right here on the, around this evening hour, okay? So the morning here, we got 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. That's where the Passover lambs were killed. And then the food was kept for the dinner that night, okay? The blood was shed, because without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. The blood was shed, and that served as a substitute. And then the families would eat Passover. It's a big celebratory time. And they gather together, and so the Passover lambs be eaten around 6 o'clock, and that's about where the Last Supper would be. And then 9 o'clock, we'll do that in the coming weeks, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus betrayed. But Thursday's a huge day, big day. A lot of text covering this Thursday and what would happen. 
the Passover. In fact, for many Jews, they still celebrate the Passover meal. And uh, they do different practices. One neat kind of tradition they do, it's just interesting. It's called Bedekah Hametz, right? And so the Hametz or the unleavened areas, they would have to go through the house and get rid of it, okay? Because the Jews were always told, clean your houses out of any leavened bread. Now kids, leaven or yeast is the stuff that makes bread taste good. Right? I had some bruschetta last night. Mm. Okay? Like that, 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 uh, the puffy bread, okay? It's not flat. All right? That's that unleavened bread. So when you take communion, kids, and you see that flat bread, that's to illustrate unleavened bread. It's not puffed up, okay? What does knowledge do, Corinthians says? Knowledge puffs up, okay? I'm smarter than the Bible. You got to check your brain at the door to believe this faith stuff. That's what knowledge does. It puffs up, which I find always comical because. I attend Renew Bible Church, and I know some of the most elite minds in this area, let alone the state, attend this place or watch us. I mean, multiple degrees. Some of you are sitting there going, he's talking about me right now, sweetheart. This is about me right now. I mean, we have unbelievable brains in this place. I mean, I, I am blown away by the education as well as that. And then some of the rest of us attend too. And so it's great. I'm with you, God. Like, I'm, we're here too. And, and we get together, and, and God has brought us all together, and we know that our faith it's not about ourselves, but the object we place it in. And so they would go through the house. They would go through the house. And, and, and they would clean out the leaven. Some Jewish people still practice this today. And what they do is they put cereal around the house now. And the kids kind of go on a scavenger hunt, much like your elf on the shelf. Don't laugh. They, they do this and they put their, their cereal out and the kids go through and they find the leaven. And the idea is there, get the sin out of the house. What, what, if you, what, if you, what if you just call up our deacon board and we came over to your house and we said, okay, we're gonna get the sin out of here, you know? Like, oh dear, don't go in that room, right? I mean, there's so many things we pile up. There's so many things we might like, oh, we gotta get that out of here. Get that out of here, get it out. Clean it all out. Why? Because we're about to celebrate the Passover. Where are they all these traditions from? What was this Passover? Well, we find the story in Exodus and oh my goodness, is it a thrilling story, but also terrifying there were plagues being poured out on Pharaoh to let God's people go. They were in Egyptian slavery and he would not let them go until the 10th plague that got his attention. Do you remember what it was? It was the destroyer was sent to take the life of the firstborn of everyone's home. Imagine what that night must have been like. Moses comes walking into the camp. He, he's looking around and he knows, God told him there's a destroyer coming and he's gonna take the firstborn and there will be death to those who do not follow what God Moses. has asked them to do. What is Pharaoh's answer? Surely he will see sense now. No. He refuses. Again? Give up, Moses, before it's too late. God will keep on doing this. Until Pharaoh breaks. What's wrong? Soon there will be a final plague. The angel of death is coming. Every firstborn son will die. No, but not us. Why would he punish us? Death is coming for us all. Why us? Friends! We can be spared God's vengeance. 
but only if we do exactly as he tells us. The Israelites paint lamb's blood on their doorways, identifying them as God's people. We promised God would free our people, but now he sends us death. We must trust in him. not listened. Whatever happens to his people is now on his head. Once I counted them as my people, Joshua, our freedom comes at a price. every Israelite house painted with blood and passes over. just even visually the Passover it recalls you to verses like for the wages of sin is death there's a cost there's a debt but you can be redeemed by the blood of the lamb it can be paid but only with the blood of the lamb if you were there that night how much would you make sure that doorpost left no doubt no hint that you didn't want to be under the blood of the lamb. They were told to celebrate that night, the night they were given freedom. When they took Passover, they were to dress with their belts that night tightened and their garments ready to go for an exodus was about to come. For when Pharaoh lost his son, he yelled, get out of here. And off they went. It's this night they're celebrating. We find ourselves back at Mark and some 1,500 years, if you will, of Passovers are celebrated. 
And this night, they'll celebrate the meal that memorializes that time when God freed his people from the Egyptians. And so the disciples are with with Jesus, and he says to tell two of them to go into the city. Where will you have us take the Passover meal? I want you to go into the city. I want you to find a man carrying a jar of water. He'll meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. There'll be a man carrying a jar. Follow him? Follow him? I mean, there's some two million people gathered into Jerusalem and Jesus, we're supposed to find this guy and follow him? How are they gonna do that? Well, one, he said, he'll meet you. But two, keep in mind that this was a time in a society where the women would carry the jars. And so for a man to be carrying a jar is quite odd. But doesn't it seem something like out of a spy movie or something? All right, go into town, find the guy with the jar, head on into the house. Why so secretive? Because there's a bounty on Jesus' life. Judas has offered money to sell Jesus out. The religious leaders are plotting against him, but the timing will be done just as Jesus says. And there is a last supper meal that needs to take place. The disciples go in, they set out and they went into the city and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. Now, prepared the Passover. Now, we often take communion and and we think, okay, that's kind of like that. But it was a little bit different during that time period, especially if you've been with us in our series. We've already discussed the different elements of a typical Passover meal. For example, the Passover would start with the first cup of blessing and then bitter herbs representing, representing their time in slavery would be dipped. Then the Passover message. Then the Hallel is sung. That's a psalm they would sing. Then the second cup of blessing. Then the meal proper. This is where they would eat the lamb that was slain. And then the third cup of blessing, which was the redemption. That was the buying back um, cup, if you will. And then the Hallel concluded. And then a fourth cup of blessing. Well, it's believed right there at that meal proper in the third cup. That's where we get our communion because of what Jesus did. So they gather around. There's this celebratory feeling in the air because it's, oh man, this is going to be a good meal. And they, it was evening and he came in with the 12. They're all in the room and they, and they were reclining at the table and eating. They're no longer belt strapped. They're, they're doing this as a memorial service. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, what's he going to say? One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, now, we're so used to these texts, we're kind of desensitized to what just happened there. But imagine the horror when they saw these words. One of you will betray me. One of you is premeditating to intentionally, not a moment of weak faith, not a moment of struggle, but a moment of intentional, deliberate disloyalty. People who have got enough of known about Jesus, they got just enough, they've heard enough of the Bible, but they're going out of their way to go against Jesus. In fact, they make it their life's mission. 
Jesus says, one of them's in the room. They, they began to feel sorrowful. Because Jesus' words carry so much power, they know when he says something's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. And they begin to get sorrowful and they say to one another, is it I, is it I? And he said to them, it's the one of the 12 who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Isn't that one of those moments of whoop? For the son of man goes as it is written him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would be better if that man had not been born. For anyone who believes in any type of annihilation theory, Jesus isn't with you. He says, this person is set up for something that would be better if they hadn't even been born. To deliberately betray me. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. There is a lack of a healthy fear if you are attacking and going after the things of God intentionally. It'd be better if they weren't born. John tells us a little bit more about this account. He gives us a little bit more detail. So the disciple leaning back against Jesus said, Lord, is it I? We know that's John who said that. Just checking. Jesus answered, it is he whom give the morsel of bread when I dip it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you are doing, do quickly. Don't let me get in your way. Don't let me hold you up. What you've got to do, do it, and do it quickly. Scholars believe it's there that Judas ran out of the room, and the Passover meal continued. And Jesus said some of the most famous lines of all scripture, right? He says this, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, take this, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all of it. And he said this, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. I'm close. My resurrection is so close. The next time I drink anything, I'm going to be in glory. But this new covenant is being given by Jesus, the last supper, but now the first communion. And two things he did very interestingly. It, it, scripture doesn't say, and I understand this and so do you. If you're a little newer to the church, scripture doesn't say. And so they took the plastic cup with sealed wrapping on either side. And they held it up in the air as a picture of American ingenuity. And, and they said, we have to feed a lot, so let's make sure we do it this, and this is the most medically safe way we can. That's not what he said. These are symbols. These are symbols. And so was the bread, and so was the drink that night. Just like this right here is a symbol of my love and faithfulness, so the bread was a symbol of his body. It wasn't his body. They knew what his body looked like. It was a symbol. The cup, the blood was a symbol of the blood that he would shed on the cross. Sin had left a crimson stain and he needed to shed his innocent blood for he is the Passover lamb of scripture. 
that would die for the sins, not only of one household, but of the whole world. Jesus would give his life for many and his blood would be that ratifying agent. And then they sang a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives like they so often did. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But, but after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Wait a minute, Jesus, what's going on here? I mean, Judas just ran out and now you say, you will all fall away. One will betray me, but you're all gonna deny me. All of you. What? By the way, Jesus is a real killjoy on this party, isn't he? I mean, what? We're all gonna, den- you're, you're all gonna deny me. If it's left up to you, you would all deny me, he's saying. What? And, and one of the disciples took a little, took a little, was a little upset. He feels he's a little bit part of the securing of his faith. Feels like he plays a big role. And he got a little upset. You wanna guess which one it is? Don't tell me we, we are all gonna fall away. Peter kind of gets a little upset and he says, excuse me, even though they all fall away. He throws all his buddies under the bus, Peter. Hey, they might all, hey, all of you, probably John, right? Jane, I, I don't know what he said, but all of them will fall away, but not me. You got somebody in your life like that where they say things like, you know what? Everybody might bail on you, but I'm sticking with you. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty great friend. And that's what Peter's, I'm, I'm staying here. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, Peter, this very night, what? You're not even making the night. What? It's not even in a couple months. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three, th- three times? Not once, three You're really going down, Peter. The rest of them, they're all gonna deny me. You're going three times. And and he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Peter yells out. And have you ever noticed this? All the other disciples did the same. You often just attribute that to Peter, right? All, and they all did the same. If we have to die with you, we'll do it. We can do this. We can stay strong. We can have faith until the end. We can do this. And it's as if Jesus says to the men who are saying, even though they all fall away, it's as if he's saying, oh, child of weakness, watch and pray. This commitment is from me and I'll stick true even through the hills and valleys of your faith tests. Trials will come your way. In fact, a trial was coming that night for Peter. There's those who say about those who fall away, you know, I just don't know if I can believe this. I I just don't know it here. I remember a story I heard about D.A. Carson, the famous professor and incredible Bible scholar and writer. He's a part of many of your Bibles. He's been part of the translating groups that that do that. Students would come up to him and say to him, even in the seminary, I just don't know if I could believe this anymore. The more I study, I just just don't know if I can believe in this God anymore. And I'm struggling with this. And, And his answer sometimes was kind of like, whoa, but he was kind of more aggressive with it when they would say, I, I just can't believe this anymore. Kids who were there at the seminary and he'd say, well, can I ask, uh, um, are you sleeping with anybody? And the students would be like, excuse me? Have you stolen anything? 
Is there money you're concealing? His point was, is there some sin you're trying to get away with that this Bible is driving you nuts about that you don't want to get under that? Because oftentimes when we say, I don't want this stuff anymore, it's because we don't want to have to deal with some of the things it's asking us to do because it confronts things that we want to do. I think we've all found ourselves in scenarios like that. But other times it was just because people said, I just don't know if I can have the faith. I mean, I try to have the faith. I, I want to have the faith, but, but I just want to try to have a faith. And that's where an illustration really stuck out to me that he also leveraged. To explain that it's not about the intensity of their faith. It's about who they're placing the object of their faith. He's the one who does all the work. You just take the gift. What? For example, the night of the Passover. Let's say there's two Jewish men standing outside their doors. One begins to paint on the doorway. Oh, he's putting the blood all over it. Leave no mistake, hon. A little bit more. You never know. The angel of death might not be able to see. He's coming. And the other's going, you really think, you really think there's a destroyer coming? Okay, I'm trying. Oh, hon, really? That's such hard. I, I don't know. I'm just, and they both paint it and they go into their houses and they both just sit there going, I wonder if this is gonna happen. One very weak faith and the other, woohoo, I've got this house covered. Carson said, which one do you think their firstborn was saved that night? Both, both, both. Because it's not about the intensity of your faith. Jesus can use a mustard seed. It's about the object of your faith. That's what saves you. The song says, Jesus paid it all. He didn't pay some of it and you took care of the balance. He didn't pay 75% and you knocked out the last 25 with effort. For grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God lest any man should boast. Boast in what? That he didn't pay it all. He paid it all. He did it all. He took care of the debt. He canceled the wage of sin. And for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But just as that doorpost has the blood of the lamb on it, Jesus is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, get rid of all the old yeast, all the stuff that pops up so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The context of that passage in Corinthians was someone who was choosing to live in sin that was affecting everyone. They needed to get right. And one of the plus places to get right with God is at the communion table. Clean out the leaven of your own life. And what kind of leaven gets into our lives sometimes? Often it's cobwebs in our head regarding our own salvation. We tend to think we play a role somehow in something that Jesus has offered us. And it can mess with our heads if we're not banking on the truth. He paid it all. He redeemed you. He paid. 
Hebrews 9, 12 says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Redeemed to be bought with a price. He deemed you valuable. Who could ever deem me valuable? Jesus did. How can you know? Because he gave his life for you. That's a high cost. He made the purchase and he's not gonna revoke his purchases because who Jesus buys, he also declares. What? Yes, at the moment of salvation, true, genuine salvation, you are redeemed and you are justified. It's a, it's a legal term. Romans 5.1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if we enter the door. And that's why Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And whoever comes to me, that's who is the ones who have that protection of salvation. And he's declared us justified. It's as if the courtroom in heaven, when we come to go Christ and genuine salvation, has gone bang, 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 justified by the work of Jesus Christ. For me to lose that, would be Jesus would have to go back on his word that I'm justified. Not only justified, I'm sealed. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. True, genuine salvation is sealed. For me to not be sealed means he would have to erase the mark. He would have to cancel the deposit. He would have to revoke his guarantee. The scripture doesn't say not sealed until sinning, disbelief, or apostasy. It says sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit takes your name, puts it in an envelope, licks it, seals it with the king's stamp. I'm sealed. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. A genuine salvation occurs. God says no one. It's not dependent on your strength, but my strength. And no one can take them out of my hand. In fact, no one can separate you from the love of the Father. Not height, nor depth. Nothing. When he grabs a hold of his child, he would have to not be strong enough to hold on to me if I were somehow able to get out of his grasp. I'm stronger than him, which isn't the case. Jude 24 says, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He, had to, he would have to revoke his gift to not guarantee I don't have something I can't lose. When I come to communion, I remember that Jesus paid it all. If I came to you today and I said at the end of the service, and you would have probably heard by now because we already had a first service. But if I said Renew Bible wants to do something today, and I know I'm being recorded, so make sure we edit this correctly. Renew Bible is going to pay off everyone's debt. Oh, what a church that would be. We have parking lot problems now. Imagine that. We're going to pay off everyone's debt. Just get in line over here, but you have to be in the house. We'd have people leaving states right now. Let's get in the car, honey. 
get in the car, you gotta be in the house, we're gonna get there. And you come up in line and we got somebody standing there right at the door, they go, okay, what you got, what you got? The average American family, um, let's say there's um, five some thousand dollars of credit cards, say, dear Lord, Chris, a little bit more. Okay, whatever, okay, go, what do you got? Okay, what about the cars, what the cars? Give me the cars, okay? Cars, what, 20,000, 30,000, what do you got? About 40,000, okay, well, let's get that down. Okay, what else, house, you got any mortgage left? Yep, we got the mortgage left, college bills. Oh, dear Lord, college bills. Oh, okay, right there, we got the college bills. Okay, there you go, we'll get you that check. There you go. Well, I still have this over here. What you got? I got that over there, and that's kind of my fault. I'll take care of that. No, no, put that in too. That too? Yeah, put it in too. Yeah, put it in, put it. I don't really deserve to have that. No, no, I'm gonna pay it all. I'm gonna pay it all. We'd have people in line going, I don't know if they deserve that. We'd have people in line going, hey, hey, hey. They kind of made their own mess. You really gonna pay all that off? They've been living a life. I, I know what that guy, you shouldn't pay. There'd be people in line, the Pharisees would be jumping out. They'd be, I have all the stones, right? Well, no, you can't be, we can't be doing that. And by the way, we're not doing that. <laughs> I better get that out real quick. Jesus said, come here. For no one comes to the Father unless he draws them. He said, I'm gonna pay it all. Do you want the gift? I don't deserve it. I know you don't. All? Yeah, but I've made my own message. I know. I want it all. I'll pay for all of it. That's what communion is. Would you take... You take it out, and, and, and let's remember the number one reason we don't go anywhere on you, Jesus, is because you paid for all my junk when I didn't deserve it. While I was yet a sinner, you died for me. Let's pray. Father, use this communion time as we honor you and we give glory to your name. May we spend a few minutes in prayer. We're all anxious to move on with our days, but may we stop and may we say, Lord, thank you. You paid it all. And may we give this time to you. I hear the Savior say that our strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. He paid every part of it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Child of God, Scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Is there any yeast you want to confess to Him today? all of it.
And that night he took the bread, he held it up before him and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. One day you'll see him, church. And you'll be able to thank him face to face. But communion is the time we praise and thank him for what he did. He paid it all. same night he took the cup he said this is my blood poured out for you as often as you drink it drink it in remembrance of me Would you stand with me? Oh, praise the one who paid our debt. Jesus, there is no one in here who could ever pay the debt we owe. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And you offered it. Because you love the world so much, you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, the Passover lamb, offered his blood so that we might live free. And that's why we stay faithful. Not because of our work, for apart from you, we can do nothing. It's your work and you sustain us and keep us and love us and hold us. And there's nothing that can separate us from your love. May we confess our sin to you, but may we continually stay in communion with you. For prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the one we love. Prone to forget the debt that was paid and the rejoicing we have because of what you've done. You paid it all, and we praise you for that. Our church praises you for that, and we will never forget each communion of how much we've been forgiven. And may we live lives of forgiveness, for there are many who do not understand the joy that we have in knowing you and following you and understanding what it's like to have a God who's perfectly holy but forgives us and loves us even with all the crimson stains. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for paying 
it all. In Jesus' name, all Renew Bible Church said, amen.